justification as we are continuing in our series of words of life. You may remember uh, from way back when, months and months ago, I have no idea how long ago, from our study of righteousness, that this is the same root word as justify, right? We don't have a verb for righteousing. I can't righteous you. I can justify you. That is how this word is used in the New Testament. And there's the Greek stuff if you're interested in that. We talked about it when we talked about righteousness. Uh, to make or render right or just... The noun, fair and equitable dealing, justice or righteousness, and then uh, a righteous act, right? Uh, an act of justice, equity, acquittal, or justification. And so when we're talking about justification, in a nutshell, we're talking about being made, and there's an important distinction here we'll talk about, being made or being declared righteous. We'll talk about the difference between being made and declared in just a minute. But in modern usage, you think about justified, okay, well, if, if legal sense. I do a thing, and the court finds me justified. I'm justified by the court. What does that mean? It means that they thought my actions were illegal, but then through the trial process, they were found to not be illegal. They thought that they were illegal, but they were okay. And so in the sense of modern legal justification, it is not a transition from I did something bad to I did something good. I always did something good, but the court found out. You see the difference there. I'm justified because they discovered that I did the right thing. That is not the biblical sense of justification. When we're thinking about justification, don't think about it that way. Because God does not declare our past sins to have been righteous. That's not what happens. Right? I did the sins. I did the bad stuff. That's kind of the whole point of the gospel, right? Is that he's not just hand-waving away my previous bad stuff. He's not making that okay. Rather, he is declaring us, me, the sinner to be righteous despite my past behavior. That's an important difference to understand when we think about biblical justification versus modern sort of legal justification. And of course, the thing that allows him to do that, we talked about last week, of course, this big idea of atonement, right? The thing that allows God to declare us righteous despite our sin, despite the bad things that I did. How can he do that? Well, that's what we talked about last week, right? The atoning sacrifice of Jesus that appeases his wrath and sense of justice. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Not that the guilt didn't exist. It existed. It exists even so. But the offering has been made for it. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul. This is talking about Jesus, right? Well, it might be God too, right? The Father. Out of the anguish he shall see and be satisfied. Atonement was not a pleasant thing. It was anguish. It was sorrow. It was horrible. But it led to satisfaction, right? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. This is the Old Testament use of this idea. It doesn't have the same Greek word, right? Because it's not written in Greek. But this idea of being accounted righteous, he shall bear their iniquities. This specific phrase, we already read it in Genesis 15, right? To be accounted or to be counted as righteous is found very early in the biblical narrative. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. We won't read all the beginning of this, right? But Lee read it earlier. The promise of God, right? That he's going to make him this great nation, Skip down, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. And here's this key phrase. He believed the Lord and he counted it, the he, that is God, counted it to Abraham as righteous, righteousness. 
this idea that God justified Abraham. Now, it doesn't use the word justified in the Old Testament, but when this verse is quoted in the New Testament, it is quoted in the context of justification, being made or declared righteous. And this verse is quoted a bunch in the New Testament. This is a pivotal idea. And when we think about justification, it's important to understand this. This is not something that God came up as plan B. This was always God's intent for his relationship with mankind, that he would declare us righteous despite our sin. Abraham was not a perfect dude. Abraham still did bad stuff. He still sinned. He still did, did sinful things. But he was counted as righteousness. Why? Because he believed that what God said was true and the promises that he had made. We'll look at a couple of these, and then we'll look at another one later on, where this verse is quoted. Romans 4, 8 through, uh, 1 through 8. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, that is, declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. This is the legal sense, right? The modern legal sense. There's a court. I, people think I did something wrong, and I was justified by the court because they discovered that my actions were not wrong. They were right. That's what is the first thing here. If Abraham was justified by works, that is, he did the right stuff, then he has something to boast about, but not for God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks to the blessing of whom the one God counts, as righteous, uh, counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those, not who did not do the lawless deeds, because that's all of us, but whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I'm seeing a lot of counting here. What are we talking about? What does this keep coming up? We have sin. That's a thing that is true. I don't care who you are. God can either count that, hold it against us, keep it on our ledger, so to speak, or he can remove it, disregard it, ignore it. That's what we're talking about when we talk about sins being forgiven and covered, that he is not counting those things against me. What is he doing? He's writing down, this guy is righteous. Chris had a bunch of sin, but because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, I don't have to deal with that sin anymore. So put down that Chris Watts is righteous. That's what's happening here. I'm not actually righteous. I'm not actually perfect. But I believe that his promises will come true. In this case, what specific promise? Well, I guess I do believe in the promises to Abraham. But for me, it's more specific than that. I believe that he will forgive. The next place this is quoted, Galatians 3, 3 through 9. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Notice the same thing that he says at the same time. What did Abraham gain according to the flesh? Are we saying what? That are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Indeed, it was in vain. Did he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? What's the implied answer there? is what? No, you didn't do it by works of the law. You did it by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Know then that it is those who are uh, those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed. The message of justification did not begin at the cross. It began thousands of years before that with God's call of Abraham. His call is the beginning of this idea of justification. That God will declare people righteous even though they technically are not. And of course the thing that allows that, facilitates that, is what we talked about last week. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the core tenet of the principle of justification is that you cannot justify yourself, either by living perfect lives. We've talked about Romans 3 already, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you can't do that. You can't justify yourself by that. Or by making up for sins by future good conduct. You can't do that either. That I'm going to do so many good things in the future that the past things that I did don't matter. That's also not possible. What, who shall, and Romans 8.33, we usually use this as an idea of comfort, but it is also a thing of warning. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, not you. You don't get to do that. God is the only righteous being. The gracious provider of atonement is the only one with the right privilege and ability to declare someone righteous. Again, now let's talk about this briefly. The difference between being made righteous and declared righteous. God is not changing. Well, let's rephrase that. God does not change the definition of sin in order to declare you righteous. So the things that you did in the past and the things that you do in the future that are sinful, still sinful. And yet he can declare you to be righteous because of those things. Now, part of the transforming power of the gospel the transforming power of the Spirit given to us in immersion is what? That I will become more righteous. That is, I will do more righteous things and I will do fewer unrighteous things. That is part of the process. But fundamentally, I will remain in some sense unrighteous forever. Well, until I die. So the declaring act of justification is that God, through the power of Jesus, who took a punishment that he did not deserve, through his atoning power, declares me righteous, even though I still sin. If what? Now, God, as the only person who can declare righteousness, as the only person who can justify, has also then set limits on who gets to be justified. Who am I going to declare righteous? Who am I going to do that for? Not just everybody, but who? The one who has faith in Jesus. Because the one who has faith in Jesus sins, and the one who doesn't have faith in Jesus sins, we're all sinners. The differentiation, the delineation is, as he talks about with Abraham, he believed God. That is, he had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, because God's power to justify is based on Christ's sacrifice rather than my own righteousness, what does that mean? I can be declared righteous regardless of my past. Whatever I've done in the past is not bad enough to remove me or to prohibit me from being justified because it's not about me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh-oh, that's all of us. 
Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor junkers, nor swindlers, or revilers. And we can keep going with all of the things that we could put in there. We'll inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I'm going to read this again. I'm going to read this again, but I want you to visualize that this is God not talking to the Corinthians. This is God talking to, yes, you specifically in this room. And as I read this again, view it that way, that this is God talking to you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the men who practice homosexuality, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the swindlers, the revilers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Us, I should probably say. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. You were declared righteous. And, I, and in some ways I don't like the two words here, right? Because you lose the power of this. When you use justify, you sort of lose the link to the first word. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You were unrighteous, but you were made righteous. You were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We could classify some of these sins as worse than others. We would. But God can declare anyone who has done any of them to be righteous because it does not rest on your goodness. Righteousness is not about your goodness. It is about Christ's goodness and my willingness to submit to him in faith. And because that is the power, I don't care what you've done. God can declare you righteous. No matter what you have done in the past. Because it comes from faith in Jesus. He has the authority due to his inherent righteousness, the power through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, and the willingness to do so because of his love and grace. Does the fact that his, it rests wholly on God mean that our sin doesn't matter and we can just keep doing it? Of course not. We understand this to be the case. And so we think about the last time this is quoted in the New Testament in James 2. Verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder or tremble. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? James is kind of harsh here. You want me to show you, idiots? It's the, the harshness of the word foolish in their context. We sort of sanitize it. Do you want to be shown, you dumbo, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The question must be, how can what James says and what Paul says both be true? There have been advocates in the past, some people that would shock you for removing James from the canon because of this verse. Paul who says, believe God, Abraham believed God who has counted him as righteousness through faith in Jesus. James says, his faith was completed by his works. What does this mean? Because God alone has the power and authority to justify because it comes from who he is and what he has done and not myself. He alone has the right to impose conditions upon that justification because he's the one who justifies. It's important to internalize the difference 
between relying on works of the law as self-justification and obedience to commands because of God-justification. I obey because he justifies, not because I am good enough and want to justify myself. In a couple weeks, we're going to move into a study of what this justifying faith exactly is and what it entails. How do we develop and exhibit the faith of Abraham that leads to justification? But let me would suggest, if we think about Abraham, the story of Abraham, God calls him from Ur. Abraham, go to a land I will show you. Oh, great, God, that's awesome. I think you're going to make me into this great nation. But you know what? I think I'll just hang out here. What if Abraham had done that? Ah, God, I believe that you can do that. Oh, definitely. But you know what? I think it's better if you do that promise and I'll just hang out here and I'm not going to walk thousands of miles, hundreds of miles. Would we say that Abraham would be the father of faith if that were the case? Of course we wouldn't. His faith was demonstrated by his obedience. His faith was completed, as James says, by his obedience. As we conclude... Ultimately, the invitation, we offer this every week, is the invitation to be declared righteous. That's what we're offering, right? That's what God is offering here. You don't feel righteous, and that's good. You shouldn't feel righteous. And yet, the invitation stands today. You can be, you can leave this building righteous. Not because of how awesome you are, but because of what God has done for you. Romans 8, 10, uh, Romans 10, 8 through 10. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, that we are proclaiming now. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Of course, he had previously said in Romans 6.1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Since God is the one who justifies, what does it matter what I do? By no means. Don't be, don't be dumb. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ were immersed into his death? We were buried therefore with him by immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might keep doing the same stuff we were doing. Is that what it says? Of course not. That we might walk in newness of life. The invitation, very simple. If you believe... You can be declared righteous if you obey. Not obey in the sense of earn, but obey in the sense that God has told me this is what I need to do for him to be, declare me righteous. And so I'm going to do it because I believe in him and I believe his promises and I believe what he said. To what? Believe, confess, to turn from your old life, to stop doing the old things, to be immersed into him. We can do that. If you want, come while we stand and sing.